standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. I've just had to turn my fan off to record this intro so you can look forward to the sound of a middle-aged woman gently melting into a puddle. Well done, British Empire, eh? Even our heat's oppressive. June is Gypsy, Roma and Traveller History Month, which exists to raise awareness about these communities within the UK. That's 300,000 people. And sadly, if not unsurprisingly, they're facing racism on an individual and systemic level every day. In fact, hate speech and hate crime against Gypsies, Roma and Travellers remains commonplace in media and from high-up politicians. Michael Gove, I'm bracing myself to look at you here. (laughs) Imagine if he actually listened. Anyway, this means that it's often seen as the last acceptable racism, which, you know, is bang out of order, to put it mildly. And so earlier this week, I caught up with Josie O'Driscoll, director of Gate Hearts and founder of Report Racism GRT, and also Professor Margaret Greenfields, Professor of Social Policy and Community Engagement at Buckinghamshire New University. Margaret shares some pretty horrifying headline findings from a new report into racism against GRT communities and suggests ways those outside of the communities can be better allies. And Josie tells us about the hard work being done within GRT communities to call out the racism they face, as well as own the community's problems and move forwards. You can follow what's happening for GRT History Month by using the hashtag GRTHM on social media. And it's also worth having a nose at Buckinghamshire New University's website, which has an online exhibition from Romani Gypsy Dr Daniel Baker and on Tuesday the 30th of June is hosting a debate on Gypsy, Roma and Travellers in Higher Education. Details for both of these can be found by visiting books.ac.uk and searching for GRTHM. Right, I am literally within this short amount of time sweating as much as that one time I tried spin and slid off the seat. No one needs that, so let's crack on. Hello, I am joined on Skype by Josie O'Driscoll, founder of Report Racism GRT and Professor Margaret Greenfields, Professor of Social Policy and Community Engagement at Buckinghamshire New University. Josie, hello. Hello, Nikki. And Margaret, hello. Hello. So you've both kindly joined me to talk about the fight back against what is quite often seen as the last acceptable form of racism, and that is the anti-gypsism and hate crime aimed at gypsy, roma and traveller communities. Right now, as we chat, we're at the end of Gypsy, Roma and Traveller History Month, which exists to raise awareness about these communities in the UK. So I realise I'm kicking off with a big old question, but in case any listeners aren't aware of the rich history and culture of Romany Gypsies, Irish Travellers and Scottish Travellers, can you throw some stats and information our way, please? Josie, do you want to start and then I'll come in? Yeah. Gypsy Roma and Travellers are very diverse communities. We're not one big people. Take the Roma gypsies, they come from India, they originally come from India, and they've been here for 500 years or more. Irish travellers, some have been here since the 1500s, but more came over in the 60s, started to come over in the 60s. And Roma are more recently have come into the UK, but still have three generations here in the UK. Mm -hmm. So they've been here a while as well. Gypsy Roman Traveller History Month is to celebrate, raise awareness of the culture and the rich history and to let people understand and know us a bit better because we are seen as invisible communities, which is not correct. No. Sometimes they say it's, they're hard to reach. I say, is, is the reach too hard? 
we do take Gypsy Roma Traveller History Month in June and we try to celebrate throughout the month with different things going on, such as singing, art, telling people about our history. For instance, we've been putting out on Twitter and Facebook, going back to the 1600s, every day we've been putting out little bits about the history. We want people to understand us and to learn about our history and culture. And Margaret, what, what have you learned? Because you're fascinated and indeed study this area. Well, I mean, I should start off by saying that I've known people from the Roman Gypsy and Traveller communities literally all my life because of where I grew up. So it's about having entwined community lives. Because I'm also a little bit cautious when people talk about fascinated, because I think that can be a bit like we're exoticising people. And I think we do need to be careful not to do that and say we're talking about communities we've lived alongside for centuries and as Josie said, Romani gypsies have been here, you know, since the medieval period. In, in fact, there was legislation which made it illegal to be a gypsy or traveller on pain of death or expulsion wow. from the UK in the Elizabethan period. People could be hanged. And in fact, they were so subject to such racism, even back then, that it was legislation which meant someone who was a counterfeit Egyptian, someone who was friends, someone like me who was friends and worked alongside gypsies and travellers, was seen as being you know, too closely associated with those communities, could also be sentenced to death in the medieval period. Wow. So there's been racism against populations forever. And Irish travellers, as Josie said, there's certainly, there's early records saying people have been around, you know, for centuries travelling in and out of Ireland and doing lots of really important work, such as metalworking. Romanies were often associated with arts and culture, dance, performance, you know, those things that people were celebrating still in history Month. And of course, Roma, who, as Josie was saying, come from East Europe, they're the largest minority community in Europe. Most people don't actually recognise that. And of course, they started moving across from India, I don't even know when, centuries and centuries ago, and gradually worked away across to the UK by about the 16th century. Something else I wanted to mention in terms of history and culture, people forget that communities, you know, we live along each, alongside each other, not just on sites. There's this assumption everyone lives on sites and people were traditionally nomadic. But also from 19th century, we've got records of people travelling in the summer, living in houses in sort of London, where I come from for example, alongside other communities doing a whole range of really important jobs as well as harvesting work. And gypsies and travellers fought in both wars. They're famous people, you know, who actually won Victoria Cross, for example, but very much embedded in our communities. And that's forgotten when we hear all this racist dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. You picked me up correctly there when I said fascinated, because it's it's true. You've touched on it there. There's this sort of juxtaposition where those communities are either romanticised or demonised, there doesn't seem to be just an acceptance of people living their lives. I mean, if you think about it, gypsies and travellers are the community who, I think, apart from the Jewish community, were the you know, earliest known migrant populations in Britain. They've been here a very long time. So it should be in the news all of the time, but obviously racism is in the news in a big way right now. And as you've just mentioned, racism towards gypsy, traveller and Roma communities is basically a fact of daily life, isn't it? Yes, it's a definitely a fact of daily life. But um, uh, we've seen a spike around COVID-19. Right. And around the dispatches programme, the truth about traveller crime. We've seen a huge spike there. It's usually from the media that hate speech starts. Mm -hmm. It's people commenting on their media articles. 
the likes of the stuff is just, it's horrendous. The kind of stuff that uh, people feel that they're, they're able to write. It's acceptable racism because if you think about any other community, they wouldn't, they wouldn't write it. But they feel that they're allowed to do it about gypsies and travellers. Because there are people in high positions that are doing it, such as MPs. And so why would people not think that it's okay to do it when they're getting the go-ahead from people high up there? Around COVID, there's been a lot in the papers about social distancing. And there's been a couple of gypsy gypsy and traveller funerals have been in the papers, headlines, that uh, they're failing to social distance. But we've seen other accounts of people going out and not social distancing. Funerals are a big part of gypsy and traveller culture. They're a big part and you can sometimes have thousands of people at funerals. Whether you knew the person or not, you'll know somebody in their family and you'll go along to that funeral. And I saw a funeral in the paper during COVID-19 and people would think that there was a lot of people there. There was about 50 people there. Well, that's quite small for one of our funerals. So as far as gypsies and travellers were concerned, actually, yes, they were social distancing. But there was a big headline from the paper about it. And then the amount of hate speech and hate incidents come from that headline. People have to read that. They're trying to bury their dead, but they're looking at this hate crime. It doesn't go into the paper about any other community. There is a fascination with gypsy Roman travellers. An unauthorised campment, it'll make a headline. Yeah. Why would that make a headline? That shouldn't make a headline. That's people going uh, about their daily business. Yes, we live a little bit differently than other people, but it's the way we live and that should be, we should be allowed to live the way we, we live. That should be acceptable. Obviously, within all communities, you have stuff that happens that doesn't reflect well on a community in all communities. But it feels like it gets massively amplified. Like you say, it becomes headline news when for any other community, it wouldn't even make the paper at all. No. And I think what a lot of people don't realise is that um, it's civil trespass. There is it's not law. Trespass is not illegal at the moment. It's a civil trespass. So. When it goes into the headlines, it goes in as illegal encampments, invasions, incursions. Travellers have been travelling this country, like I said, for 500 years. But it's getting harder and harder to, to live. They're being pushed out and pushed into... Well, we've always been on the margins, always pushed out on the margins. And people say that gypsy and travellers like that. Well, actually, we don't like that. Um, it's not a choice we would make if we had the choice. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd rather... Um, integrate and be part of communities and you can see where there's established sites which have been around for 40 50 years that they are part of the communities yeah you've totally integrated into society yeah joseph's made that point about people being pushed to the margins and the shortage of sites what we're talking about is a community which is growing as well and families want typically to live together or on traditional sites. Not everyone. We know that a lot of people live in housing. Maybe a third of people live on sites. But all the work on accommodation assessments, which I've worked on the very first one in this country and you know, for over a number of years, quite a few, it was a government requirement to undertake them. We found that around two thirds of people interviewed said they would rather live on a site in a traditional manner alongside family members that doesn't mean not being integrated it doesn't mean not going to school or working locally paying taxes all the rest of it but wanted to live on sites and there isn't enough sites so people are pushed around those people who can't get onto a site and there's a lot of evidence about forcing people to settle 
it's actually psychologically violent. I mean, it's been recognised in law of the damage and there's been some absolutely horrendous cases. I will never forget, in terms of some of the planning work I've done, of hearing people being turned down for sites and suicides as a result of people being forced into mm. housing, elderly people who'd lived their entire lives on sites, ripped away from their families, forced to go into housing, isolated in four walls, and actually killing themselves as gentlemen rather than actually live like that. So I just think we've got to emphasise there's a great shortage of sites, and that's why people are moving round. Often not there is for work purposes as well, but often that being sort of whipped from pillar to post with the way the media, you know, and local authorities, councillors, you know, there's no votes in voting for sites generally, tragically. Some good local authorities will say we need sites. These are our people, these are our community members who are entitled to accommodation. But all too often it's like not in my backyard. Yeah. And there's a, a massive misunderstanding when I was reading around and doing my research. I noticed with the horrific comments that come up under media pieces, a lot of the time, the same old comment was, well, do these people even vote? And it's like, yes, this misunderstanding that these communities aren't already part of our society and performing incredible functions and bringing so much into it is insane. I'm sure Josie's going to have a lot more to say on this, but I think one of the things that's worth saying is, People often think of minority communities as being visibly identifiable. And because members of the Romney Gypsy and, and travellers, and I've got to say as well as Scottish travellers as well, Indigenous Scottish travellers as well as Irish travellers, um, who have you know, literally been here for centuries and centuries, you know, are Scottish, you know, a distinct ethnic community. But, you know, they, they are white people. So therefore, they can be seen as being just like anyone else. And that's why people often will choose to hide their identity to avoid the racism and discrimination. And it means can slip through the gaps of not being recognised as being a minority community. I won't mention names, uh, but there's a lot of people out there that are very uh, high businessmen, but that do hide their, their identity. People don't know them. So there's people that own hotels, own caravan parks, own, um, but don't identify as gypsies and travellers. So people are coming in contact with gypsies and travellers, but don't even know it mm -hmm. because they are hiding their identity. It's a sad thing when they have to hide their identity. I know of one particular young woman who tried to get a, a job and had an address of a caravan park and kept getting turned down for the jobs, never got to the interview stage. So we did a, a little experiment and we used a postcode around the corner. It was still the same address, but the caravan site wasn't on it. And actually, she got two interviews and got a job. So it's that kind of discrimination, ingrained discrimination that... I think it's just the mentality of people when they hear the word gypsies and travellers, it automatically comes into their head. Oh, thieves, dirty, child snatchers, all these things come into their head. It's like a light switch. It's been ingrained and they're conditioned to it. I mean, it's heartbreaking for the individual and the community that you're having to hide your heritage. I've got another sort of example as well, relating to what Josie was saying about people not getting jobs. I worked on the Equality and Human Rights Commission report, really big report a few years ago, and we took evidence from people. And this one again stuck in my head. So there was this young girl, um, she was about 18 or something, and she had a job in a jeweller's shop. Now, she actually was a housed traveller. And so, you know, there was no way of identifying she lived on sites. 
And then something came up that it sort of she acknowledged her identity, her ethnicity. I can't remember why and what happened. And as soon as that happened, from being trusted to put the gold in and out of the shop windows, then no longer allowed to do it. So it became, and she actually left her job. She was so humiliated at the fact that suddenly there was someone always watching her when she was serving or when she was around gold. And some one of her co-workers said something about, oh, we know you people like to wear gold. I mean, that's just, that was it, her job. And her trust as well, her relationship broken with other people. And you can imagine the damage it does in sense of trust to the wider community. You've both touched on it there, that, that it's ingrained. And, and as with, with all racism, it's insidious, which means it's seeped into all of society's big structures, education, health. I know particularly health and maternity rates are huge issues. Absolutely. I mean, should I do the stats and then you maybe some talk about people's experiences, Josie? Would that be OK? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. OK. Um, so we know that there's, you know, there's massive disparities. There's been a lot of sort of smaller scale studies, but only one sort of large comparative data project, which was undertaken in 2004. But what we do know is that just under 40% of gypsies and travellers have long-term illness, and that's compared with 29% of comparators. And that's including when you compare the socioeconomic status. So you're talking about a whole 10% higher of long-term illnesses, and that's sort of illnesses which actually impact on people's daily lives, okay? So, for example, travellers and gypsies and travellers are more than three times likely to have chronic cough and bronchitis. And that's even when you control for smoking. I mean, something which I do a lot of work on with colleagues is that around a quarter of gypsies and travellers report that they're anxious and depressed. And that's you know over three times more than most members of the community. So we're talking about massive impacts on or mental health. Mm -hmm. And we're going to touch on this later, I think, when we start talking about some of the key findings from the current project we're working on, which aren't released yet, aren't published yet, but we have permission to give you a few headings. But we know that there's a huge link between experiences of racism and discrimination and how people feel about themselves. I mean, you can imagine having to hide your identity and actually not say openly who you are. So it's, you know, it's got a big impact. In Ireland, Irish travellers are three times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. That's often young people with families. There's a massive problem. We, you know, those of us who academics, community members, have been pushing for years and years and years to say we need to actually do a study in the UK because I don't think I really know a family, particularly travellers and also Roman gypsies, who have not been impacted in some way in their extended family by suicide. It's a public health crisis, which just isn't spoken about. And I think if it was other communities, if we were saying, I don't know, white middle class men, for example, there's this huge amount of people dying by suicide, there would soon be, you know, a national inquiry work be undergoing. But one of the big problems, and this is where we talk about insidious sort of institutional issues, Roma gypsies, Irish travellers, Roma people are not identifiable in health data sets. So the information we've got is where there's targeted projects. You cannot isolate down. So for the first time in 2011, we're including census data. And that's where we know, again, about these high rates of you know, disproportionality in relation to ill health. So diabetes, heart disease, very, you know, very large number of people die of heart disease. Absolute excess prevalence, miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death and shocking figures. when you actually compare to mainstream population. 
but we cannot actually look at the whole country. We cannot look at this, you know, 300,000 people to actually say what is going on because the NHS has not included them in data search. So it's questions not being asked and access not being there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hand you over to Josie on that one. I'm sure we'll talk more. <laughs> well, we did a, a health study with our local Gypsy Roma Traveller community and the majority of them use A&E. Now, there's a lot of people in houses that do have GPs, but a lot of them would r- rather go to their A&E. It's not the GP. It's sometimes getting past frontline staff. A lot of the time when gypsy travellers go to have health needs looked after, they go in two or threes, or there might be an aunt, the mother. And I think there's training needed for frontline staff in GP surgeries because they don't understand the culture. They can see it as aggression or... Gypsy travellers do kind of, especially travellers, they speak that little bit louder than other people when they're speaking to one another. Like, but there is other cultures that do that as well, like uh, I'd say Italians, and it's just the way we speak. My granddad was Irish, and I was terrified of him because it always sounded like he was shouting, <laughs> and he wasn't at all. <laughs> yeah, well, some people take that for aggression, and it can frighten some people, to be honest with you. It can uh, intimidate some people. But it's just the way we are and we can't help that. And we can't change that. Getting past that frontline staff into the GP, they're usually fine when they get into the GP and can sit down and explain. But they'd rather go to A&E. And I guess when you're at the stage where you decide to go to A&E, it's already a, a, a lot further along. If you think, oh, I need to get to A&E now, you've missed a big step where stuff could have got caught and could have been dealt with or talked about a lot earlier down the health process. That's definitely true for um, gypsy and traveller men. They like to self-medicate first before, and sometimes it is too late by the time they get to a doctor. They're they're macho and they don't like to talk about certain words, like they'll call uh, cancer or bless themselves and they won't say the word. That kind of Yeah, it's usually at a late stage by the time they seek medical help. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? And so, so actually people die needlessly as well sometimes because of these barriers. I think the other thing actually we should probably mention is that particularly for older members of the community where there's been a very disrupted education, also you know, not so much youngsters, but you do sometimes still see it, literacy problems. And that means people can walk away being given medication and they just don't understand, you know, how to use it. I mean, let's be honest, it can be confusing for any of us if you've got a doctor sort of like very quickly pouring out information. But if you can't read it anyway, I mean, there's, there's issues maybe sometimes people might share medication we've come across because, well, this worked for me. And of course, that's dangerous, too, as well. I mean, people are very honourable, very caring. And so, you know, maternity care, for example, making sure your daughter, your granddaughter's looked after. But if people are being moved around and evicted, there can be real problems as well in ensuring continuity of care. So literacy issues, health literacy, really, is actually being aware. And I think the other thing, too, we're quite switched on. And I work a lot with health professionals in my work in policy. And generally training, it actually sort of says if we're looking, working with perhaps Muslim communities, other communities, there's that awareness of cultural issues. And Josie's already alluded to this. But again, I think the presumption of people slipping through the net, not being seen as minority ethnic communities, there's often this complete misunderstanding that ships and travel women, you know, overwhelmingly are going to say, actually, I want a woman doctor. There's all of those sort of, which I'm sure Josie will say more about, you know, the, the very much the cultural gendered issues 
and behaviours and expectations as well. Yes, uh, there is a lot of that where um, it's changing actually with the younger generation, but uh, where a woman wouldn't want to see a, a male doctor. And I, they have a right to see a woman doctor. If, but sometimes if a woman doctor is not on call or on, they'd rather wait. They'd say, oh, I'll come back. I won't see you today. I'll come back. Or, mm-hmm. And they might never come back. They might never come back, especially if they're traveling or out on the road. There's another case I came across years ago, a few years ago, was uh, a traveler woman, Irish traveler woman, and they were on the roadside and being moved around. And she eventually, at the urging of her daughter, realized she had to go, you know, and see a doctor because she was having women's problems. Initially, she, they were moved on after she actually did eventually about a third attempt to see a woman doctor. And it was only because the woman doctor realized that she was on the verge of well, dying, basically, with cancer and drove around all over the place and found them on a roadside that this woman's life was saved. They had to have, you know, full hysterectomy and a lot of treatment and was very, very unwell. And there were still problems of people trying to evict them while she was in hospital and going through treatment. Never forgotten that one either. So Josie, with all of this going on, you have taken a lot of it into your own hands and you set up Report Racism GRT. Was it in 2017 or 2016? Set up in 2016. It wasn't uh, long after Brexit and people were talking about how hate crime was on the rise. Mm-hmm. And we realised that actually we can't tell for our communities. Yeah, the police collect hate crime data, but they don't break it down beyond race or religion. They don't break it down into groups. So we decided to set up Report Races and GRT just to raise awareness of the hate crime that was directed at gypsies and travellers. And to raise awareness in our own communities that actually... You don't have to accept this. There is something you can do about it. It's been a long process, but people are starting now to report hate crimes. The reasons we were getting for people not reporting hate crimes were, um, well, there's nothing going to be done about it anyway, or I don't trust the police. Yeah, Uh, fair enough. There's a real distrust there, and still a distrust. I would say it's a historical distrust from evictions and things like that. Well, it's grounded in experience, isn't it? It's grounded in fact. Yeah, but people are beginning now. And I've seen over the last three or four years that a lot of people are saying, well, yes, it's time to stand up. We don't have to take this. If you go back like 10 years, there weren't really many gypsies and travellers working in organisations or as activists. But there's a lot, a lot of people coming out in the last 10 years. And it's good that uh, young people are beginning to say, well, look, we don't have to put up with this. We're going to do something about it. And the R report, we get lots of reports in. And we get lots of reports in from non-gypsies and travellers as well. Reporting on behalf of gypsies. Actually, I think our reports from non-gypsies and travellers is higher than from gypsies and travellers. But it's just a place they can go to. And sometimes they don't want to uh, report to the police. It's the anonymous service if they want it to be. Sometimes they just want to get it off their chest and to have a rant about it. Yeah, fair enough. They didn't have that place before and they were taking it all inside. That's why mental health is so is so bad and suicides within our community. People just take it in their head and don't talk about it. But they're beginning to open up now and speak about it. Even if they want to rant, leave them rant away and it's getting it off their chest. 
And of course, it's um, statistics for the government too, because you can tell the government until you're blue in the face that we suffer from this. We, if you, you know yourself, if you haven't got the stats or the data, it's not very good. Yeah, but we set it up in 2016 and it's been going well. And we have a group of social change makers, 11 Gypsy Roma traveller women around the country. Uh, they're dotted in different places around the country and they're there to support people too if if they don't know how to report, to help them to report, to help them through the process, to do some victim support. And they've been trained up to do that. So we do trainings and for our hate crime social change makers. What has the response been from your communities? At first, they were saying, oh, no, what's the point? We're never going to change anything or things are never going to change. And it's hard because I think we've had two convictions in the last three years. It's not a lot. It's not a lot, and people want to see results. Yeah. If they're going to uh, report hate crime, they want to see a result at the end of it. And now we have one particular case. I'm not going to mention names. It's an ongoing case. But we have one particular case where we will be doing a bit of restorative justice with the perpetrator and sit down with them and just really tell them how it makes us feel. Yeah. I think people need that. Sometimes they do it out of ignorance. They don't really know uh, what they're doing. They, they go on the bandwagon. Somebody else is putting a, a comment up there and they decide, oh, I'll put one up. But they don't really sit down and think about the impact of it. I think restorative justice works well. It works well in these situations where you can sit down for a half day with them and tell them what it does to Gypsy Roma travellers, how it affects their lives, how people are uh, suffering from mental health, how there's suicides from this People telling me that uh, I can't take it anymore. I just can't. And sometimes you say, well, don't look at it, but it's there. It's in front oh, yeah, of them. Of the young people today have their, their smartphones and their, it's not like years ago where it was kind of invisible. You didn't hear about it. You didn't see it. But now today it's in your face on social media platforms. But it's getting better. The young people are beginning to come out and say, no, we're not going to put up with this. We need to do something about it. I mean, the sense of community that I already knew was out there, but I'm totally getting from you in a massive way, is so important. And there's also the importance of community ownership, which I know is something that you're really fighting for. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, like I said about 10 years ago, there was a, a lot of Gypsy Roman Traveller organisations that weren't Gypsy and Traveller-led. Now, it's not about not wanting non-travellers to work with us because we do and we need them. But it's about the community taking ownership of their own problems. Mm -hmm. That's the only way we're ever going to solve our issues or our problems. Start conversations about them, take ownership of them and go into them organisations. I know some of the organisations always had gypsies and travellers working there. Um, I know the travellers movement have always had gypsies and travellers working in there as interns, but they need to take ownership of their own problems. Sometimes they're a bit laxy-daisy and they'll sit back and they'll say, oh, we'll leave them deal with that. And I said, well, actually, these are our problems. We need to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And until we do, we're never going to change anything. I can totally understand that, not wanting to make a fuss or draw attention when a lot of attention that you get is negative. I totally understand why you'd be like, no, I'm just going to back away from this. If I could come in on that one. We mentioned that there's a project ongoing and we're very lucky to be commissioned by Josie's organisation on a report that's funded by the Ministry of Communities, Housing and Local Government. And what we've done is we sent out a, a survey 
to members of the Gypsy Traveller Roman communities as well as doing interviews. And it's not published yet, but just one or two headline figures, just that point you're saying about people not wanting to make a fuss. For example, it's like it's just under 79% of people said they experience hate crime or hate speech very commonly. 79%? 78.2% in actual fact. Oh, well, that makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could, I could give you an example. Someone just said derogatory terms are so ingrained, people fail to hear it from a local level to a national level, from the word gypo being used to describe something dirty. From another school child to politicians, people use language that divides us, the gypsy and traveller community, from law-abiding citizens. The media positions us as invaders or swarms or uses military terms to dehumanise us. That, that's just one hint. But I think more to the point I, that you were saying about people, you know, what would they do when they experience it? Why it's so important to have things such as report hate. There's, I mean, we've got a whole, you know, raft of information about people experiencing physical violence to you know being excluded from services social media abuse comes in 87.4 percent of people experience social media abuse 82.8 percent have seen their communities targeted with incitement to racial hatred and then you know physical violence as well is 51.7 percent of people have experienced harassment or physical violence but when you're thinking you know will people report or not and what you've got is 81.6% of our sample of 88 people said that experiencing discrimination, hate crime is just something you have to put up with. It's so common. We're just so used to it. Now, that is just outrageous. Mm -hmm. So many people think it's, you know, so normalised yeah. that they just don't report it. It's heartbreaking. Okay? Yeah. It is. But I think that's why people like myself and other activists, Gypsy Roma, travel activists, have to gently nudge and gently push people and say, well, look, if you don't uh, come out and start doing something about it, it's never going to change. And I've seen a big change over the last five years. A lot of young activists coming up. Uh, very proud of that, that a lot of young activists are coming out and they're powerful. They are powerful and they're well clued up. Thankfully, education is a big win-win for us in the last 20 years. People have been staying in education more. And I hope, hopefully, that it will continue and more will start coming up. There's a lot of people going to university now, Margaret, as you know, and which wouldn't have happened, say, 10 years ago, it wouldn't have happened. And people wanting to change, wanting to change what we go through and what racism and uh, not being able to access services. They're wanting to combat that. So that's the real appetite out there now. That's great. And people are proud to identify, aren't they? I think that's the thing people, yes. as you said, are actually saying, this is who I am. It's not a case yes. of hiding in the shadows anymore. And, you know, universities, I mean, obviously that's where I work. I think we've got a real duty. We have to make things welcoming. We have to make things safe. We have to ensure people are included in the curricula so that health workers, social workers, people who are in daily contact with members of the communities know the things that we've been talking about today. It's not a case of, you know, they have those, that they carry those prejudices they've picked up from media or stories they've heard. We have a programme, a practitioner's programme for universities where uh, we go in and train uh, young people coming in. They might be going into the field, they might be working with Gypsy Roma travellers, like young social workers, or they might go into the police. We train them up on diversity and inclusion and on cultural competency. So we've been doing that for the last couple of years and it's it's going well. And, um, people's attitudes are changing. 
slowly. Margaret, what can we do to step up and be allies? First and foremost is we call it out when we hear racism, discrimination. It, you know, we say, why are you using this language? I mean, I I went to academia quite late. I, I actually trained as a lawyer, initially worked in community law and NGOs for quite some years. And when I went to academia, I think there was an assumption by many places that why do you want to work with these communities? I mean, the things that I heard from, you know, educated academics, people say, oh, you go onto a site, aren't you worried someone's going to steal your wheels? Or how can you do that? And I mean, this is quite, I mean, I've been very privileged where I work, I've got to say, they've always been really supportive, as was where I did my PhD at a different university. But I think those stereotypes abound amongst people, as we said, from politicians, you know, right down to, you know, people working in the shops. But we need to challenge it. We need to call it out. We need in our working environments to actually say, hang on, you wouldn't say that if you were talking about someone who was Asian or black or Jewish. It's about making people actually confront what's going on. It's about where we're fortunate enough to have influence. And I'm going to actually sort of point the finger at media here, for example, at the moment and say thank you, you know, so much for what you're doing. You know, people have responsibilities in how they speak to and represent. We again, we know from our survey, 84.9% of people said that there's a spike in incidents in hate crime and hate speech after there's been media programmes which are negative mm. or where, for example, there's been local paper reports, things like, you know, the dispatches programme, my big fat gypsy wedding, negative reports in local papers. So as allies, we can actually say when we look at those underlying comments, Let's get back there. Let's challenge. Let's go to that editor and let's go. This is wrong. You know, there was um, an excellent software program I used to use a lot in teaching. Doesn't seem to be around anymore. Called Jewify This. Now I, I'm actually Jewish, and what it used to do was you just run a headline through, and it would change the word to Jew. So it was set up by Jewish activists working to support Gypsy Travel Aroma. So it would say things like Jews not welcome here. Jews invading sort of local football pitch. And then people would be shocked and horrified. And it, that's what we've got to do is say, how can you use this language? You know, what are you doing here? Make things welcoming. Make sure that people are represented in all of their wide diversities. So it's not just these nasty, racist, negative stereotypes which are found. And I think hopefully Black Lives Matters movement, the fact that we're now talking more about race and ethnicity and discrimination inequalities, is also going to take account of what's going on for members of the Gypsy Trap and Roma communities. And I think it's over to Josie, really, now. Yeah, Josie, where can people find out more and get involved and be allies? There's lots of different organisations out there now working with the Gypsy Roman travellers. But we also work with CATCH, which is Community Alliance to Combat Hate. So we don't just work within our own little bubble. We work with different communities and, and that's the way to go forward. Sometimes we can be in our own little bubble. We need to move out because people, there are other communities out there like the black communities uh, have suffered racism and still suffer racism today. But they stand up for themselves. And now gypsies and travellers are only beginning to do that now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you see uh, something happening to, like take George uh, Floyd, for instance, people were out in their millions, which there should be around that but it's not that easy with gypsies and travellers they kind of say oh we'll be seen as uh, the stereotypical what they say about us well they'll say it's true they're afraid to put their head above the parapet yeah. and but they're starting to do that now they're starting to come out and hopefully it'll keep increasing and people will come out and start doing it if I could also add, for anyone who's Jewish who listens to this, there's some brilliant work going on for a long time with Rene Kassan, which is a Jewish human rights organisation. 
so there's a lot of support as well from you know, my community working alongside Gypsum Travellers. They could get in touch with organisations such as Renika Sam, get people talking in synagogues, Jewish schools, for example. And if someone wanted to report racism using Report Racism GRT, where would they find that to do that, please? They'll find it at www.reportracismgrt.com. Kept it simple. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both so, so much for this conversation. I think it's really important and I'm really I'm really pleased that you were both up for having it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Standard issue for all women.